and it's gonna burn you. You can doubt the Chiefs! You can dislike the Chiefs! You can disrespect the Chiefs! You're gonna have to deal with the Chiefs! We have to change from doubt to believing. Hello everybody, welcome to Kingdom City, reclaiming sports for Christ and his kingdom. On this week's episode, the Buffalo Bills bow out. The Cowboys eat turkey on the sidelines, and we learn why emotions may be our downfall. All this and more on Kingdom City. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another thrilling, hot, fiery, and exciting episode of Kingdom City. I am, of course, your host, Ross Harris, and I am joined by someone who could not decide whether or not to put an angel or a star on the top of his Christmas tree, so he settled on a picture of Patrick Mahomes. I am joined, of course, by Gideon Beeler. Gideon, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks, Ross. I appreciate the... uh intro that's pretty good <laughs> thank you you're you are most welcome my friend now you may notice that gideon and i are recording this remotely unlike we normally do which is in person face to face for good old conversational banter over my dining room table but hard to beat that. yes hard to beat that but here we are now recording over the magic of the internet because well it's christmas it's the most wonderful time of the year and Gideon and I both have jobs that require us to be unimaginably busy at this time of the year. So we are recording kind of much later than we normally do and yep. going to be running this later than we normally do than when I'm normally in bed. But uh, Gideon and I, we are here. This is the Kingdom City Difference. We are doing this for you guys so you guys can know what's going on in the world of sports and why you as a Christian should give a darn about what's going on. We did it for you. Yes, we did this for you. Um, But Gideon, we are nearing the end of autumn. Winter is approaching swiftly. And so, because of what happened this week, I thought I would begin our episode with a little bit of a poem. Okay. A little bit of a poem. Not a song, a poem. No, no, no. Sometimes, look, (laughs) you have to hit all the different mediums. Today, we just Ah. hit spoken word when it comes to art. Ah. Now, this poem is not a Ross Harris original. Um, This is, of course, getting, you know who Steve Sable is, right? Uh, Yeah, obviously. Greatest poet, don't you know it? He is the former NFL Films president. Um, the guy who basically recorded all the old Super Bowl footage and NFL footage that most of us see today and appreciate, he coined this poem. He rewrote this poem based off of another one, but it was called The Autumn Wind, and Gideon, it's relevant for this week. So without further ado, here is this poem, great poem by Steve Sable. The autumn wind is a pirate, blustering in from sea. With a rollicking song, he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather-beaten. He wears a hooded sash with a silver hat about his head and a bristling black mustache. 
He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold, and the trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. Now, Gideon, we read this, of course, because it was Raider Week in Kansas City. Raiders. We had to travel to Las Vegas to play the Las Vegas Raiders in a neutral site because... <laughs> neutral site. In a neutral site. This poem is so relevant because when this was written was back when uh, Jim Plunkett, Ken Stabler, and the Raiders were winning Super Bowls. When John Madden was the coach and they were a strong team. But the Raiders have not been that for quite some time. Before we were alive? Before, before I was alive. Long before, yeah, long before you and I were alive. Um, and I bring this up because the Raiders, a lot of people don't know this just because of their recent history, but the Raiders are one of the most successful franchises in NFL history. They have three yeah, Super have Bowl titles. In the 70s. Yeah, they have three Super Bowl titles. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, they have fallen off by virtue of either bad management, by virtue of bad coaching, by virtue of drafting the wrong players, maybe drafting players based on potential instead of actual talent. And then you have things like where they're letting players go or signing players regardless of their character problems because of their talent. And of course, I'm talking about guys like Marcus Peters. Okay. And we're going to get into Marcus Peters later in our film room, but one of the things that's so critical in the NFL is that players control their emotions. That players don't let their pride come before the well-being of the team and the well-being of their own careers in doing their jobs. And Marcus Peters, is, as we're going to see, he is a case study in the ultimate what could have been with great NFL talent. A kid who escaped bleak circumstances in life rose above it and managed to climb to the one percent of the one percent of people to be one of the best defensive players in the nfl during his early time in in the league to a drastic fall from grace he actually grew up a raiders fan he grew up in oakland correct so we'll get more is he is he marshall lynch's cousin uh i don't know off the top of my head um, I think they're either I think they're related or maybe they knew each other growing up. I don't know. That would be interesting as well. But um, we'll get more on this later. But I had to lead the episode with that as we get into the rest of this and the rest of our coverage of the NFL because um, keeping control of yourself and the importance of what sports has to teach us with that and the role that parents play in teaching us to control ourselves both on and off the field will come in very in handy as we go through this NFL rundown we have and even when we go into our film rear discussion. So without further ado, Gideon, let's get into the NFL week that was so staggeringly exciting, which stretched back to Thanksgiving Day. And before we even get there, we have to start we have to start with the game of the week, which was Sunday night football, as the Philadelphia Eagles hosted the Buffalo Bills at the link. Yeah, seems like the- Seems like the Eagles are in games of the week. Yeah. I mean, every week. Last week against the Chiefs, right? Mm-hmm. This week against the Bills. 
And honestly, if we're looking forward to next week, probably next week against the Niners. Yeah. That might be. If the Chiefs game wasn't the biggest game of the year, that is the biggest game yeah. of the year. Yeah. The, 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 int- the distinction between the Eagles and Chiefs is that it's a Super Bowl preview, potentially. This one is probably an NFC Championship game preview, most likely. Um, so That's next week, though. But right. this, this Sunday's game was... Wow. It was, it was a show. It was excellent. So we saw Josh Allen and the Bills. They got out to a, an early lead. Josh Allen was playing great. Joe Brady, the offense, it seems alive once again. The Bills yeah. put up 34 points on this team throughout the game. But then it came down to the second half adjustments again of this Eagles team. And they have started slow in the first halves of these big games late, lately. Started slow against the Chiefs. Started slowly against the Bills. And then halftime came and they made adjustments. And it came down to what we've always talked about is the historically defining moment of the Buffalo Bills under the tenure of Sean McDermott and the quarterbacking of Josh Allen, which is, can they hold a lead late in the game and win a close game? You and I have, and not a lot of people have talked about the close game aspect, I think, of this Buffalo Bills team. We, we have been beating this drum, I think, since episode one of yeah. the Bills have to blow them out or they have to or they lose a close or game. Or they lose. Yes. Yep. And it's it's very rare. They they beat Kansas City close when they beat us in Arrowhead. Um, and there's like one or two other games in the last three, four seasons that they've won close. But it's generally going to follow that trend. It's yeah. either going to be a 20 point blowout or a loss. Yeah, it's it's the exception when they win a close game. The norm is yes. they lose the close games. Um, yes. Unlike the- and you can almost you can almost like feel it when you're watching the game. You know, you're like expecting them to lose. You're like, oh, here they go, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas with the Chiefs, when you watch them, and it's close. You're like, oh, they're oh they're down by 14 with five minutes to go. They got this in we the bag. <laughs> so, case in point, the Chiefs were down with eight minutes to go by 10 points to the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl 54. Chiefs won by 11. They were down by 10 with eight minutes left, won by 11. Things like that. Or we're, the Chiefs were down 24 to nothing to the Texans in the second quarter of a playoff game and won by 30. <laughs> first quarter. Right. They were down 24 nothing in the first quarter. And in halftime, they were up 28-24. Yeah. So... Just wild things, wild things like that. The Bills and Sean McDermott, of course, famously in the 13-second game, was the one calling the defensive plays when they lost to the Buffalo Bills, or sorry, to the Kansas City Chiefs in that famous 13-seconds game. Now Leslie Frazier has stepped away. Sean McDermott has been calling the defenses all season, and the but here we go. The Buffalo Bills were up late with a up by three late with a chance. Just keep them off the field. Just get a stop. Just stop them. Keep them out of field goal range for a minute 30 and you win the game this big game that you need to win if the bills don't win this game their playoff hopes are over they are basically done if they don't win this game and what happens yet again jalen hurts walks them down the field the bills defense is unable to hold and the and the eagles knock in a 59 yard field goal to tie the game up and send it to overtime which um there's still 20 seconds left in the game Gideon, there's still 20 seconds left of the game. And the Buffalo Bills had two timeouts, I believe, at this point. I think they had at least one. I know they, they had at had, least I think one. It was just one. And, so, and with Josh Allen, 20 seconds. With Stephon Diggs. To so, get 
a field goal, right? Now the Chiefs did it against you with 13 seconds. Right. So keep and this... you're gonna have 20 and not even give it a shot. I was blown away by that, Ross. Gideon. I literally looked at my wife. I said, "What are they doing? Why are they kneeling?" Gideon, check this out. Listen to this. So Sean McDermott played for overtime when he and his quarterback combined are 0 and 5 going into that game in overtimes. It's like Gideon, what are we? How can we? How can a coach look at his team and say we have a superstar quarterback? Take a knee, like with twenty seconds left and a timeout. Are you kidding me? We just saw Jake Elliott hit a fifty-nine yard field goal. Tyler Bass is a good kicker. Yeah, and your offense is doing well since Joe Brady took over. Yeah. Like it's not like they they were stalling out by any means. Right. I mean. And we saw the. I didn't understand that call, right? And and I think it not only taking the loss, but taking it in overtime again and extending that record to zero and six, and having that coach's decision to say ah just take it to overtime, that combined with the record, and if they miss the playoffs, I mean you got to think that that puts Sean McDermott on the hot seat, right, Ross? Oh, I think he's been on the hot seat for a bit because he's fired all this. He's fired the last scapegoat because when Leslie Frazier walked away, it was on McDermott alone, and now with Ken Dorsey being gone, Joe Brady's the new offensive coordinator, and we saw the offense has improved drastically since he has stepped in. There's no one else to blame for any of this. It yep. can't go on anyone's. And Brandon Bean has given McDermott all the tools he needs, all the players he needs to get the job done. Like they have spent money. They have this. They have the oldest average roster in the NFL right now. The Bills. Really? They have the That's most veterans. Their average age is, I think, 28 right now of their roster. So it's like they're not rookies. They're not newbies. These are seasoned veterans. And Gideon. But it didn't end there. In overtime, the Buffalo Bills had a chance to seal the game. Josh Allen had Gabe Davis wide open, streaking down the field. Chance to win it. And there was a miscommunication by each of them. One thought Gabe Davis ran his route more out, and Josh Allen threw him in. And the ball sailed harmlessly onto the Philadelphia turf. And as soon as that ball hit the dirt, I knew Philadelphia was winning this game. Yeah, when the ball was in the air, I was like, oh, dude, Philly gave up a touchdown. And then I just saw, like, the way the angle of the camera was, I was like, oh, that's a touchdown. And then the ball just kind of hit the ground. I was like, wait, what happened? Yeah, absolutely. And we all we know what happened from here. Jalen Hurts marched his team down the field and then scored. The Buffalo was in a terrible formation. Their safety was way too far over on the left side of the field. And Jalen Hurts had a perfect blocking setup and almost and went completely untouched into the end zone on like a 15 to 20 yard scamper or quarterback run. And Jalen Hurts has to be the yeah, they front. Called zero, they called a zero blitz. Right. They, Buffalo disguised a, uh, disguised a blitz and then they blitzed the corner and the safety came up to take the tight end. And as soon as, J, as soon as Jalen Hurts saw that, he saw that it was zero blitz and he audible to that play. And it was, it was great. Yeah. And, there was no one there. As soon as the as soon as the pressure came, he delayed quarterback draw, and that safety was coming up to mm-hmm. take Dalton Dalton Kincaid, and then he had to backtrack and yep, he just missed it. Uh, so Jalen Hurts, has he cemented his status as the MVP favorite? I would say no. 
Who would you still put as MVP then? Uh, based on. Okay, so this is weird, but like based on past performance to this year's performance, I would say Dak Prescott. I am interestingly, well, that leads us into our next discussion, Gideon, because we have to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. They were, they were pummeling Washington on Thanksgiving Day. At, they, were, they were beating them so badly that Dak Prescott and a few of his offensive linemen were actually straight up eating turkey legs on the sidelines in the fourth quarters. Like, that's how far in front they were. They were like, we're done. We've won. We've put this team to bed. And Dak Prescott, as much to what you said, he has been putting up MVP numbers since the 49ers loss. Since they got absolutely stomped by the 49ers, you look at Dak Prescott's numbers, he is leading the league in a lot of categories involving quarterback play ever since that game. And it's you'd be hard-pressed to put his resume up against anyone else. Yes, they've beaten a lot of bad teams. Guess what? Good quarterbacks beat bad teams. Yeah, he's shown resilience um, and that coming back from that and not just playing average or mediocre and barely winning. But like, So obviously you have the indictment of, well, the schedule, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, look at the Chiefs schedule. Mm-hmm. Chiefs schedule hasn't been hard at all, right? They've yeah. got just as many losses, but they don't have as many good as good as wins. So, I mean, the Cowboys are blowing everyone out. Yes, especially at home. Lot. And so my my that's the one. What you just brought up is the one thing that I'd be worried about if I was a Cowboys fan. Yeah, my the my home record versus away record. My axiom for giving credit is I don't take away credit from teams for beating the teams in front of them. I do judge a team harshly when they lose to a team they should have beaten. Because you can only play the team that's in front of you. Especially when it's not like college football where you are you don't make the schedule in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would say I take it if I take a team down because of of the schedule. But if we've got two teams that have similar records and I'm comparing who do I think is better, I'm going to take the schedule into account mm-hmm. and say one team has the edge because... Right. Yeah, I, I definitely wait a win over. I wait a win over, like say, if a team beats San Francisco, I wait that much higher than someone beating the Arizona. Uh, Arizona, exactly. But I'm not. I'm also not going to penalize the team that beat Ooh, Arizona. The Cowboys lost. Right. <laughs> I'm also not going to penalize the team that beat Arizona because that's they couldn't help it. That's who they had to play. Yeah. So, anyway. Brandon Cooks, though, is starting to contribute for this Cowboys team. Like, he's starting to become a real relevant threat that teams will need to cover. They've got the running back thing figured out. CeeDee Lamb and Brandon Cooks are a great one-two punch in the receiving core. CeeDee Lamb has really been, like, asserted himself as Mm -hmm. number one wide receiver in the NFL. And, like, in that conversation of, like, oh, top four, five, whatever. Agreed. He's been been excellent. Agreed. But, Gideon, there's one thing we do have to talk about here. And it was an NFL record that was set in this game. And that was, of oh, course, Teron Bland. He's setting the NFL record for interception returns for touchdowns in a season. He put six, he scored six this season, Gideon. Six. This guy was, I think he was undrafted, an undrafted player. And now he has gone from undrafted to NFL record setting for interception return touchdowns. So Deion Sanders didn't do that. Ronnie Lott didn't do that. <laughs> it's it's crazy, dude. I believe he was picked in the. He looks like he was picked in the fifth round. 
Fifth round. Okay. Okay. My bad. Fifth round pick. But, yeah. but here's a crazy thing. So, or here's a the cool thing. Yeah. They lose Trayvon Diggs, their uh, you know top tier NFL cornerback, all pro. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh no, the Cowboys defense took a huge hit. They might not be as good. This guy comes in, and it's like, okay, what? Now they've got th- when when. When Trayvon Diggs gets healthy next year, now they've got three legit corners. Right. You know, ex ex defensive player of the year in Stephon Gilmore, Trayvon Diggs, and Deron Bland. I mean, this guy's got Deron Bland has more touchdowns than any Chiefs wide receiver. I know. <laughs> it's funny. Hey, so he's got more touchdowns than Travis Kelsey does. He certainly does. Uh, so here is where these are some of the the NFL interceptions in general, if I'm not mistaken, Gideon, I'm going to read some of the players that, um, I'm going to read to you some of the, um, players here that Teron Bland has more interception return touchdowns for, or more than, okay. He has more than it's it's Teron Bland. Teron Bland. Okay. Sorry. He has more than Brandon Ayuk. He has more than Nico Collins. He is more than TJ Hawkinson, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Cole Komet, Sam Laporta, Christian McCaffrey, Jaden Reed, and Rasheed Rice. <laughs> and he took that one like 64 yards. He took that thing. Wow. It was and awesome. it's only week 12 that he did it in. Yeah. Still got he could extend this thing out. Six more weeks of football. He could extend this thing out. And... Um, so we, 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 I was not able to watch, I wasn't able to watch a lot of the Thanksgiving football. Um, I had to check a bunch of the huts. I actually went shooting on Thanksgiving day with, um, one of the men from our church and we, one of the other games, one of, there's a team that always plays on Thanksgiving apart from the Cowboys and that's the Detroit Lions. Every year. Every year the Lions play in there. Lions and the Cowboys play every year. Every single year. They don't play each other necessarily, but they always play. And the Lions have not won on Thanksgiving in forever. They've had a bad team for a long time. Now they have a great team. They have a really good team. So this is the year they're going to break the streak. This is the year that they're going to win. And they're playing the Packers, who have historically had, over the last 20 years, you know, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks and great teams. And now they have... Not a great team, right? So this is so this one's in the Everything bag. Everything lined up for Detroit to bring home the turkey leg. But the problem is, the Lions were very high on that L tryptophan lurking in that turkey, and the one year that they were actually good, they fell asleep at the wheel and let the Packers come into Ford Field and take the win. Gideon, this is the most Lions thing to do. They are. Come on. Come on, Lions. Come on. <laughs> and, and I remember looking at the game. I was like, at one point, I think it was like 23 to 9 or some yeah. weird score. I was, like, I was like, what in the world? The Lions almost came back, but the Packers had control of this game for the majority of the game. So I've, all, I've said, Gideon, for the longest time, my concern with this Lions team is can they handle the emotional ride of finally being a winning team? Can they do that? Can they keep themselves in control? Can the Lions handle the expectations? Hard to break that culture of subpar, mediocre, and 
honestly downright bad mm -hmm. in the organization's history. That's hard. That's all. It seems like, oh, once you're good, who cares about the past? But for a reason, that it's just a hard thing to break. For, it's just winning. We say it all the time. It's so tough to learn how to win. But once you get there, it becomes so much easier and things just start going your way. But when we do get one day into the curse of Bobby Lane, we'll find out if this team can actually finally break out of that horrible curse on them. Now, are the Packers starting to turn the tide, though? Because this team has put in some good recent performances that were pretty solid. Yeah. And now, Sunday night, they host the Kansas City Chiefs at yeah. Lambeau Field. Lambeau. Nice and cold game. Um, are they are they turning the tide? I don't know. I've seen. I want to see more of Jordan Love. He started off the year, and I was like, "Oh wow, the Packers got another one." And then he just like fell off a cliff. It was like, "Oh, he's a dumpster fire. He's a garbage can. What is this? This isn't even a quarterback." And now the last like two or three games, it's like, "Oh, what?" I I see him making these throws. I'm like, "It's so funny watching him." And Zach Wilson, like, sit under Aaron Rodgers and then adopt so many of his mannerisms. Mm -hmm. The way Jordan Love throws the ball now looks mechanically almost identical to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. It is weird. He does the ball tap. Yep. He's got the arm angle almost the exact the, like, same. Throwing it's, off your back foot type thing. It, and is picking up the leg thing. Yeah. To, uh, in his cadence. Yeah. Is just, it's like, it's weird, dude. So, did you know, I saw this interesting stat where I think it was through the same amount of starts, Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love had the exact same amount of touchdowns and interceptions. How did the, how did the Packers do this? They do, Are they really going to land three straight Hall of Fame quarterbacks consecutively? Well... Something that I heard, I was listening to Colin Cowherd the other day, and I heard, oh, I've got his face pictured in my mind, but I can't think of his name. It's Breer, whatever. Oh, Is it uh, Alan? Al, um, um, Daniel Breer. Some, no, that doesn't sound right, Breer. What's his name? Albert, oh, no, Albert Breer. Albert Breer, that's yeah, it. That's it. Albert Breer was talking about it. And one thing that he mentioned that I guess I hadn't thought of, but I was like, oh, wow, that gives a lot of validation to how the Packers have been able to do it because they have the the uh, ownership group. They don't have a single owner. Right. It's, they, they they fire people less often because not one guy reacting emotionally like Dave Tepper and the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's rare that you get a GM and a coach combination that have the that have the job security and confidence to be able to draft a quarterback and develop them. Mm. Most GMs and, and coaches are worried about their jobs right. and performing now with what they have. Right. That makes sense. That's a really interesting so, point. I was like, that's so true. I never thought about that. Like, you think like, oh, obviously you want to draft a guy and develop him. That obviously is the, that seems to have been the recipe for the Packers. You saw what happened with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, he only sat for one year, but most that's not what most teams are doing. It's like, oh, that's because normally if you're drafting super high in the draft, it's because you stunk last year. And if right. you stuck, it normally means somebody got fired. 
Right. So then the people coming in, they don't want to get fired. So they're doing everything they can to throw what they got out there. Right. And I was like, oh, wow, that's – I hadn't thought about that aspect of it, which makes sense as to why the Packers have been able to do this. And that coincides with, like, how the Steelers have historically been a great org- organization too. And we talked about how – I remember – I think I mentioned last week they just don't fire coaches midweek or midseason. They just don't fire people midseason. They've had three coaches since the 1970s. But, like, even coordinators. Getting, do you want to know the last time they fired a coordinator midseason? Uh, last week. Well, <laughs> besides Matt Canada. Sorry, before, that. before Matt Canada. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 1944. 1944? Was the last time they fired a coach midseason. They just broke that precedent. And do Matt you want to know who that was that got fired? Yes. It was the owner of the team. He fired himself because they were performing so badly. Dave Tepper needs to do that. Yeah, Dave Tepper... Is the epitome of lack of patience. Like why he's a fire himself from being the from being in the football stuff. Yes, exactly. Um, so we talked about how this we're getting ready for the Chiefs to travel to Kent to Green Bay, but we have to talk about the Chiefs rallying from 14 points down to plunder the Raiders in Las Vegas to ignore the autumn wind that is the Raider. The Chiefs were down 14 nothing. Getting and I need your honest opinion. Did you think, man, we went, we're actually bad? That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> that is literally, I was watching the game at my in-laws, and they went up 14-0. What? And the way that they went up 14-0. Yeah. One thing we've been able to depend on this year was the defense. Yeah. The Raiders are going to go up 14-0 and, like, controlling the time of possession. We had zero yards. Yeah. In the first quarter, yeah, I uh, zero. So, one hundred percent honesty, I was still on team. We got this. We'll be fine. We'll figure it out. And I was on team. This game is going to mark the beginning of <laughs> people of people bailing on that mindset. Yeah, but no, I was like, here we go. I'm going to get on the podcast and be like, well, guys. The, the the trust in Mahomes, trust in Veach, whatever it is, whatever in you Veach want to say. In Veach we trust. In Veach we trust. It's gone because what just happened? We lost to the Raiders. But but it is not this but, day. <laughs> but they finally decided to th- to throw the ball to their best wide receiver and have him on the field for like a good portion of the time of the game. And we act like this was a great revelation they came to. They actually landed on this via necessity because their other wide receivers were injured. So we still have to wait and see if Matt Nagy and Andy Reid will do the right thing and tell Pat, hey, uh, Pat, whatever you do, just uh, don't throw the ball to Justin Watson 12 times a game. Throw throw it to Rasheed Rice. Yeah, see what happens when you target a good wide receiver 11 times in a game. And not a white guy. Size races, bro. But you're right. <laughs> produces. Produces. <laughs> Tell that to Jordy Nelson and Julian Edelman. That's, yes. And Cooper Cup. Exceptions. Yeah, exceptions. And not a white guy. Not a white guy who got cut by when he had Tom Brady thrown to him. <laughs> yes. 
Um, but, so yeah. let me tell you my produces... my favorite play. Go ahead. My favorite play of the game. I think I texted you about it right when it happened. Bobby Spillane on the Raiders, who is a dog, and he shoves he shoves Justin Watson to the ground in the end zone. Gentle word. Yeah, he 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 (laughs) he lit Justin Watson up on a route. He yeah he lit him up, and then Justin Watson instead of complaining, instead of instead of going to the ref. Instead of complaining about how he wasn't able to get his job done because he got absolutely trucked. Instead of complaining about why he couldn't get his job done, he just settled down, got up, sat down in the zone, and caught a touchdown. And then, in a move that would make King Loon proud, he walks right up to the much bigger (laughs) Bobby Spillane and gets right in his face and taunts him. Well, let me tell you something, brother. I wish I wish they would have interviewed Justin Watson and asked him what he said. Yeah, that was. See, that's the kind of move where um, Justin Watson, of course, a Christian, Christian, one of the few, one of the Christian athletes on the Chiefs. I didn't know that. But a guy who does not. I think that was a defining moment of a turnaround in our offense for the team, especially as the wide receiver, because the wide receivers, they've been really taking it on the shins these last few weeks. They have really been taking one, um, taking the blame for a majority of the failings of this team, and sometimes rightfully so. so. Yeah. And sometimes rightfully so. But to see Justin Watson get up, get in one of the baddest dudes on this team's face, after he just shoved you to the ground and tried to take your lunch money. Spillane's a captain. I know. Get into Spillane's face, and I don't know what was said. I don't want to know what was said. I just know I saw what I needed to see from this wide receiving core because they were not... Exactly. We are freaking champions. You guys haven't sniffed a championship trophy in over 40 years. That's when I... That play is when I was like, "Uh oh, they got this, baby. As mm-hmm. soon as I saw that, and my father-in-law, he was like, oh, you know, we can't be having that. Going to get us a 15-yard flag. I was like, no, the take the flag. Playing, I don't care if he gets flagged. He take just, the flag. He just fired up this team. Yes. And I know and that fired up Kelsey, and then Kelsey went out and lit it. So I, I referenced King Loon before. For those of you who haven't, like King Loon is obviously a reference to the horse and his boy in the Chronicles of Narnia. And King Loon's son, uh, Corin, was known for pushing people over, shoving them around. Just and he goes and King King Loon's son Corin goes and taunts someone. And King Loon reprimands his son and says, "Hey, only taunt someone that's bigger than you." And that's exactly what Justin Watson did. Went to the dude who's much bigger than him and said, "Get out of my way." Well, let me tell you something, brother. It Love it. Um, we have to talk about though the receiver who really took over the day for the for the Chiefs, Rasheed Rice, Gideon. Now, this is the part where we have a running joke in our household right now yeah. because you'll remember when we did our draft preview, I had mentioned how I was really high on the Rasheed Rice pick and that I was super glad the Chiefs picked him up and I expected a lot of good to come from this guy. Um, now. In our running joke in our houses, every time Rasheed Rice does something, I say, I called it. I knew it. I knew it. Now, 
the joke now is that Emily has <laughs> started saying, dude, I, Emily says, dude, I totally knew he was going to be awesome. And I said it during the draft. And so she started saying it all the time. And now we've all started going with, Emily, you called this. You had it. You nailed it right on the head. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's been great. Um, it's about time that they started throwing the ball yes. at him. He's shown explosiveness. He has he's had problems with drops, and he had a drop in this game. Um, mm-hmm. Mahomes didn't lose that trust, kept throwing it to him, and that they're utilizing him. And you know what was different about this game from other games, Ross? They've been using him in the slot, and this yes. time they put him in the X and said, go be outside. Which and go where be our, he should be. Go be our number one. He's got the body for it. He reminds me a lot of like a – Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown type. Really, really big mm-hmm. and really, really fast. You know who he reminds me of, too? Kind of player um, that's retired now. Tackle. And Quan he Bolden. reminds me of... Yes, that's literally who I was going to say. That's the same type of receiver. A big yeah. dude who's like... When you see him, you're like... That's not. That doesn't look like what a receiver should look like. He just looks mm-hmm. thick. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't mean you think of a receiver like thin, like slender, lithe, and just like Elvin almost, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like just mm-hmm. super quick and agile. But these guys are big. Like, dude, I don't want to tackle that guy. Looks like mm-hmm. Derrick Henry running around. Yeah. And then yeah, and then they are also super fast. When Rasheed Rice catches the ball, watch out, man. I don't want to tackle that. He guy. takes off. Gideon. The greatest play that he made, though, during the game was not the long yards after the catch crossing route that he ran. It wasn't the screen pass that he caught. It wasn't any slant or anything. It was the jump ball he won over the sideline, on the sideline, where he went up over the Raiders defender and snatched it out of the air, toe tap on the sideline. And I thought, holy smokes, we finally have a guy who can make these catches in the X slot. It's if we, yeah, Andy. I hope that Andy starts doing Andy things with this guy and makes mm-hmm. and really has isolated what he does. Really, that's what Andy Reid's so good at. Is I'm gonna take you. I'm not gonna take a player and smash him into a scheme. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take a scheme. I'm gonna take my players and build a scheme around them. Yeah, and 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 figure out what they do really well, and just call plays for that and right make sure that whatever they do poorly never comes out and so i hope right. that he's got he's figured this guy out because i think Rasheed rice can be a legit le- like legit number one wide receiver i'm talking I 1200 of 1510 every year like agreed he can be and if the chiefs can 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 i don't want Build to on happen. it yeah, here's what I don't want to happen, Ross. As a Chiefs fan, I don't want them to go, oh, cool. We got Rasheed Rice, wide receiver and fix now. He's playing good. Yeah. I want them to go, okay, cool. Rasheed Rice is a dog. Well, guess what? Travis Kelsey has talked about retirement. If he doesn't retire this year, it's probably going to be next year. So mm-hmm. this year we're going to take two, three picks at wide receiver in this year's draft. We only have like five picks. Take three of mm-hmm. them at wide receiver. And maybe you hit on two of them. Maybe you only hit on one. Yeah. But then you've got... Even if you hit on one. Then you've got some guys, right? And you can yeah. cut Sky more because he's garbage. Agre- <laughs> <laughs> yes. He had a decent game. He had three 
three targets, three catches for like 30 yards. You know, I heard uh, on 16 today, Alex Gold talking about uh, like we need to shift our expectations for Sky. That's just, exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> just say like, hey, if you give us three for 30 every week, we, we'll call it a W. Yeah. Maybe you break out it, and have like an 80 or something yard game. Good job, but that's not the expectation anymore. The expectation is is get open for like a few plays. Hey, three for 30 puts him at about 51 catches and about 600 yards. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. So let's keep moving here because Kelsey finally woke up after a bit of a uh, slumber. Without Taylor a bit there. Of, without Taylor there. That's very important. Um, it's literally the first good game he's had all year that Taylor wasn't at. Yeah. So this was important, and we needed to get this. Like we talked about before, Kelsey has looked like he hasn't had his swagger and his mojo, and his like he hasn't been playing like with a like like a free spirit type thing. He looks like he's caged right now. Yeah. But then this game happened, and I I I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the wide receivers finally waking up. Justin Watson standing up and showing energy. Those are the kind of things that get a guy like him. He has that kind of like WWE mentality where he, he needs something to get him going. And I think that might have been it. Yes. He needed the, ener- so. the energy increase. And he needed someone else to be on the field that the defense has to worry about. That's what I mentioned yes. last week. We have to have someone that the defense has to actually be like concerned with, not named Travis Kelsey and Isaiah Pacheco. Like Agreed. Agreed. And it was good to see the defense uh, rat, put, foot, put their foot down after giving up two strong drives to the Raiders. Defense so put their good. foot down. So and good, thankfully, thankfully, Antonio Pierce decided to kick a field goal on fourth and one when he had the Chiefs on the ropes instead of going for it after they were carving up the Chiefs defense. And the, um, I think the announcer straight up jinxed him. I think he said like Daniel Cars. I think he said like he's made like I, th- I want to say he's like he's made forty-five field goals from this range in a row, and then he I, like he did. right after he said it, the ball was kicked <laughs> and know. it went right. I was like, "Oh, dude, what a <laughs> dude!" It was awesome. What a bro of a commentator. <laughs> like, I love it. Dude, you can't be saying that stuff. Um, yeah. But what I want to see last point I'll make on the Chiefs. Yeah. I don't want to do what we did with the Chargers game with the Bears game. Oh, it's fixed. We're good. Mm. Like, show me you can do this again against the Packers. This is the standard now. Show me you can do this, this is the again standard. against the Packers. And show me you can do it again, more importantly, the following week against the Buffalo Bills. And let's not lose, please, another primetime game because of bad play. I would prefer that. Yeah, Mahomes is normally, like, excellent in primetime games, um, which is why I, I was just starting in my fantasy team my fantasy league, um, I got C.J. Stroud and Mahomes, and, and C.J. Stroud's obviously been on my bench all year because I have Mahomes, but he's actually got more fantasy points than Mahomes this year because he's been balling out. And Mahomes right. is playing. Speaking of C.J. Stroud. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Speaking of C.J. Stroud, we have to talk about their massive game against the Jacksonville Jaguars in Houston. This oh, week. Now, of this course, it's going to be a good game going in here. Not me. Right, exactly. So I don't think many people could predict this one, but the Houston, of course, won game one against Jacksonville earlier in the year in Florida. Uh-huh. Now, so this was a then Houston was starting to make, excuse me, starting to make a charge for the division. 
So Jacksonville has to win this game. They yep. need this, if not just the lead, but the also game, tiebreaker. They would, they would have the division. Right. So the Jaguars go off, go out to a twenty-one nothing lead. Texans, sorry, not twenty-one nothing, but the Texans they they had a slow start. They didn't score at all in the first quarter, and then they started in the last three quarters to start playing catch up. But they just could not overcome their really slow start. Um, despite how well the Texans are playing, the Jaguars were able to get a much needed win and join the other eight and three teams in the a- AFC right now. Yeah, missed it on. Uh... Missed going to overtime on a on a field goal, and they unfortunately they have a like their backup kicker almost. They had to sign him a couple of weeks ago, Matt Amendola, and he kicked. Uh, I want to say it's like a fifty-seven or something. There. It was a long field, field goal, field and goal. Amendola played for the Chiefs last year for a bit before getting cut as well, while Butker was injured. Yeah, and uh, it was dead on, but hit the bottom crossbar and bounced back. It was like. You know, they say football's a game of inches. Like, man, if we could have got that ball just a little bit further. Yeah. Yeah. So, Gideon, I think that wraps up our, our NFL week. Let's get to some quick hits, and then we'll get some final thoughts before we move in to the rest of our show. Yeah. So, quick hits here. The 49ers traveled to Seattle on Thanksgiving Day for the primetime Thanksgiving night game. And, Gideon, I thought this game would be a lot closer a lot more contested than it was, just being an important division game that it is in Seattle with the twelfth man. Bro, the 49ers are rolling. Yeah, that's what, I think I said it on last week's podcast. I said I I think this I think the 49ers are gonna blow them out. I don't think it's yeah. gonna be close. And you were one hundred percent. I think right. I messaged you and at halftime, I wanna say it was like twenty it's like twenty four to three or twenty seven to three. And I was like, Oh, this game is going Almost worse than, it was I thought, hideous. than I thought. And then the Seahawks started to just come back. I was like, oh my goodness, I jinxed myself. And then the 49ers <laughs> were like, nah. <laughs> we wanted to give you a little bit of hope just so we could squat you again. Right. Yeah, exactly right. The Dolphins win the Tim Boyle Bowl behind Javon Holland's 99 yard touchdown return. Now, Gideon, the Dolphins win this game. Tim Boyle comes in. Did you know that there was a. I have in our one sheet something labeled TV story. Now, for those of you who don't know how we plan this show, I normally come up with a bunch of talking points, and I usually don't tell Gideon a single blessed thing about some of the things I've included in this show. But So the, the TV company, TLC, they had a giveaway for this game for that if people signed up for it, they were going to give away a 98-inch TV what? To everyone who signed up on this game, if a play of 98 yards or more happened in this game. Okay? So, like I said, Javon Holland on the Dolphins, he scored a 99-yard touchdown you, return. You mean the, 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 sorry, quick question. Do you mean the TV manufacturer, TCL? TCL, sorry, yes, okay. TCL. Okay. They they were, um, so there was this 99-yard touchdown interception touchdown return by the Dolphins, and they said they would give away a 98-inch TV to anyone who signed up for this promotion. So a bunch of people signed up for it. This play happened. They had to give away a million dollars worth of TVs to people they, after they this. They did it? Yo, oh, absolutely, yeah. 
Good for them. Yeah. Good, Good for, for them, them, man. Well, hey, you say absolutely. Remember the uh, the whole Pepsi and the, the jet? I don't know if you remember that. Pepsi and the... I don't remember that. Oh, uh, there's a Netflix documentary. You should watch it. But, <laughs> I'll look that up. But anyway, so the 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 Jets continue to to fall down the playoff standings and keep Aaron Rodgers' Achilles return story almost irrelevant. Um, but I I thought the story was hilarious. So let's move on. The Steelers beat the Bengals in the what I thought was the second worst football game played all season and maybe all weekend, and. Kenny, did you watch the the play by Deontay Johnson on the fumble? I didn't get that. Look it up. It was one of the it was the worst effort play I've ever seen in NFL history. Ball was fumbled. He just stared at it, watched the Bengals pick it up, pick it up, and run away with it. And he just walked to the sideline, right past the the players running with the ball. No way. It was he just gave the ugliest, up on the play. Just Completely. literally gave up on the play. Man, that's. Oof. I don't think. Mike Can you imagine doing be, that? Uh, what is it with them in diva wide receivers, man? Dude, George Pickens, AJ Brown, not AJ Brown, Antonio Brown. They just yeah. Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Claypool. I mean, just keep going. You can. We <laughs> so got to go back to the Stewart Heinz Ward before you get a good one. Yeah, exactly. So then we had the Bears and Vikings. And the Giants and Patriots all demonstrate that there is a chasm separating the good teams from the bad teams. And not just the good from the bad, but the contending teams from the playoff teams to the middle teams to the, oh my gosh, my eyes are bleeding watching this team play football. Gideon, the Bears and Vikings played a 12-10 football game. I know. It's almost as bad as the Patriots-Colts game that was like 10-7. It was ten. To, Tommy DeVito beat a team. Two, didn't he win two last week too? Yeah, I think they've won two in a row now. Gideon, what are we doing? Why are we letting these teams play on TV? Well, because no, they have. This to. is not the product. This is not the product we need. Because fantasy for the NFL. and gambling exists. I guess yeah, that's also true. Gideon, we saw the Ravens knock. I think knock the Chargers out of the playoffs, twenty to ten. Yeah, and we talked about this last week, Gross. Yeah, we expected this L, right? But yes, if we did. They go lose to who they play next week. I want to say it's. Uh, the, I don't recall off the top I of my head. I want to say it's the Bears or something. Oh but gosh, it's a team that's not good. Let me see. It's that would define the Bears. The Chargers. They lost to the Ravens. Okay, no, it's the Patriots. It's worse. Oh, if they okay. lose to Bill Belichick and the Patriots, Staley is fired on Monday. He has to right? Be. He, no, probably Sunday. He has to be fired on Sunday. I, I know it's in Foxborough, but if you Doesn't can't matter. beat Mac Jones, Mac and Cheese Jones, you have issues. You, and that that's to me that would be an indictment on Kellen Moore too if they can't beat Mac Jones. Uh, here's one thing I will say: when you play Bill Belichick, he is going 100 percent of the time to take away your to, best option. 
you will not. And lose. Your best option will not be successful. So the whole Herbert-Keenan-Allen connection, not happening. Keenan-Allen won't also have say, 100 yards. He probably won't even have more than five catches. He will shut that down. So if they can't find someone else to throw to, they're going to lose this game. We can expect that, and we can also expect Bill Belichick to lose 64%, sorry, 54% of his career games without Tom Brady at quarterback. Yeah, how many? I, it's more than 54, isn't it? Because, well, his win percentage is like 43%, so it would be like 57, yeah. 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 He's not good with Tom, or without Tom. Now, I'm just going to say this. Every single Super Bowl that Tom Brady has won, the more I think about it, Becomes much, much more impressive considering the coaching tree of Bill Belichick when you think of guys like Charlie Weiss, Josh McDaniel, Romeo Crennel, Bill um, O'Brien. Brady won Super Bowls with all these guys coaching, and these guys can't do jack squat. And then he left and won one with Bruce Arians and Bruce Arians. <laughs> like the very next left year left. at like 49 yeah. years old. <laughs> All those Super Bowls are becoming much, much more impressive. Yeah, he's the, the more I think about it. He's the GOAT, for sure. I, I, I'm, I'm almost tempted to say he won six Super Bowls with the Patriots in spite of all these coaches. Not because, yeah. <laughs> Not because. So, Gideon, I'm curious what... Is this what, our new segment, Ross? It's, just, it's time for our new segment. It's Ross's Stat Facts of the Week. <laughs> Again, like we did last time. So, Gideon, my first stat is once again my favorite number. Okay? I have to go with it again. It's the number 14. And is it and also the number that a soccer team won by? Or goals? No. Or? It is not. This is much different, in fact. This is actually, I think, an equally impressive number. 14 that we had last week with a 14 nothing victory. But actually, 14... Goals? No, this is the number of different head coaches that have that Andy Reid has coached against in the AFC West since he took over the Chiefs. Are you kidding? <laughs> no, I am not. <laughs> since twenty thirteen? He's been since twenty thirteen he has he has coached against fourteen different head coaches in the AFC West. I'm trying to think of who they are. Vance Joseph. One. John Gruden. Yep. Okay, well, let me go through the Broncos. You got Vance yeah. Joseph. Yep. Uh, who was the old dude that was there? Gosh. Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio. Yep. And Sean Payton. Yep. Are those the well, there's, there's, uh, there's more. There's more Bronco coaches? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because he was here uh, for you, the Peyton Manning years. You have Vance Joseph. Who... I said Vance Joseph. Oh, you did? Yeah, that okay. was the first one um, I said. Vance Joseph, you have Nick the, Fangio, and Sean Payton. Who won the you have the interim. Him? You have the interim head coach oh, as Nath, well. Oh, Nate Hackett. He just got fired. Nate Hackett. Yep, Nath, Nathaniel Hackett. Um, and uh, did the, Who was the coach when they won the Super Bowl? Uh, John Fox, I believe, but I think he retired when... John Fox. Uh, I think it was John Fox. Do you have Fox. the list anyway. of all 14? Um, I did. Let me see if I can dig it up again. I just want to see if uh, I can pull that out of the bag. Pull out all the coaches. Uh, one second. Without looking it up. So I got four. 
on the Broncos. If I go to the Raiders, I got John Gruden. Then they went in or out. Okay, hold on. Hold on. So you have John Fox, which I was right about. That was the Super Bowl ones. John Fox? Yeah. Um, Vance Joseph, Vic Fangio, Sean Payton. And you're missing one guy who was there for 15 and 16. And Nate Hackett. We got that guy, right? Yeah, we got Nate Hackett. So there's five, and we're missing one more Broncos guy? Yes. Who's there from 15 to 16? So that was was the Super Bowl. It was 15. No, uh, no, 14 was. Oh, okay. 15 to 16. I don't know. Gary Kubiak. The Houston guy. Man. You should be able to get the Chargers ones. There have only been three. Okay, Chargers ones. Obviously, Brandon Staley. Staley, yep. I don't even remember who was before him, bro. I got to be honest with you. Wait, who got Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn, yes. And before him was Mike McCoy. Yep, would not have got that, okay? And then the, okay, then. the Raiders have had six? Yes. Oh. Not counting Antonio Pierce. Not counting Antonio Pierce? <laughs> Wait. Josh McDaniels. Josh. Uh, sorry, yeah, counting Antonio yeah, Pierce. Okay, so Antonio Pierce, Josh McDaniels. Yeah. Then the other yes. interim was uh, the bald guy that was the special teams guy. I can't remember. Bisaccia. Yeah, Rich Bisaccia. Bisaccia. And then Gruden. And yep. then before Gruden, I don't know. Jack Del Rio. Oh, yes. Scumbag. He was terrible. And Dennis Allen. Dennis Allen, the current head coach of the Saints. Oh, man. Yeah. That's crazy. 14 head coaches. All right. What so, a great stat on. fact. 55 is our next stat. 55. Okay. This is, uh, of course, Hall of Famer Kurt Warner's career win percentage. Okay. That's it. All right. Now, you're probably wondering, why am I, Why are you bringing this up this time, Ross? Like, what does this have to do with a stat fact of this week? Let me guess. Okay. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. Of this week, I okay. don't know. So, 55%. Now, Kurt Warner, Hall of Famer, MVP, Super Bowl champion, um, Christian, godly man, father of a million kids. Um, quarterback. Yes. Um, this is also Patrick Mahomes' career win percentage went down by double digits. What? Dun, dun, dun. Patrick Mahomes <laughs> is goaded. The next highest player with a minimum of seven games, I believe, is Tom Brady at 23%. Yeah, that makes sense. He's that much better than everyone else. 55% of the time, Patrick Mahomes wins the game one down by double digits. His win, his record is 15-11. and 11. I want everyone to just let that sink in. It's one of the most absurd statistics I've ever seen. Yeah. He's that good. And his win record when he has the lead is probably one of the best, too. He doesn't give up the lead very often. Correct. Let's get to our final stat of the week, Gideon. That number is, of course, 50. Of course. I mean, 50. Who wouldn't have guessed that? I bet everyone listening was guessing. Ross is definitely going 50 here. They probably were. Now, 50 is an interesting number because this is an amount of 
goals scored. Okay. This is an amount of goals scored by one Erling Holland of Manchester that. City. Now, 50, this is the amount of goals he scored in 48 games in the Premier League. Okay. Just average of 50. This is a Premier League record. Fastest player ever to score 50 goals in the Premier League. At 48 games. Two years old or something. Yeah, he is averaging more than a goal per game in the English Premier League at the age of 22. It's insane. Um, uh, and he hit his 50th goal this weekend when they played against uh, Liverpool. Liverpool. I saw that game advertised. Yes. I was like, Ross is going to be watching that game. It wasn't like Saturday at like 7.30 in the morning. I was like, Ross is totally waking up early to watch this game. 7.30 Eastern on Peacock. So 6.30. Um, <laughs> yes. It was, uh, it was a good game. Did you uh, wake Liverpool, up and watch it? Actually, Heck yeah, I did. It was actually it was actually a tie, one to one. What? Um, and when it ended, but Those were Liverpool the have done quite well in the Premier League, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Liverpool have done quite well actually. They've tied. They've they've already played their away games at Manchester City, at Newcastle, at Chelsea, at Brighton, and and they've played a lot of the big teams already away from home. Which means the second half of the year they're going to have all those big games at home at Anfield. On the return leg, so a lot of interesting things. Big in soccer, huge, especially with teams like Liverpool, where Anfield is basically a fortress. I think they went. I think one time they went. I think it was ninety-five games consecutively without losing at Anfield. Yeah, Liverpool does not lose at Anfield. (laughs) Five games. That's insane. It was was an absurd amount of games. Anyway, league. Yeah. Let's move on to the film room, Gideon. This is our final topic. So, Marcus Peters. I referenced it earlier, the importance of controlling emotions. Now, Marcus Peters came into the league as a draft pick of our Kansas City Chiefs. And he actually won Defensive Rookie of the Year. Or, sorry, Defensive Player of the Year as a rookie, I believe. Um... He was a stellar defensive back. He was either defensive player of the year or defensive rookie of the year defensive when he came into the league. The year, but, I, believe. I, yeah. I don't think in Marshawn Gilmore is the only cornerback that I can remember winning that in recent memory. So anyway, fantastic promise. Fantastic, fantastic potential as yeah. a cornerback in the NFL. Oh, he, um, if you looked at his stats, I remember as a Chiefs fan, I looked at his stats through like the first three years of his career. He had more cornerback stats than like every Hall of Fame corner. Charles yeah. Woodson, uh, Deion Sanders, like more picks, more passes defended, like everything. I was like, this yeah. guy's three years in, he's a surefire Hall of Famer. And, I don't and it's know funny you say three anymore. years in. It's funny you say three years in because that was exactly how long he lasted with the Chiefs before he was traded away, even before his rookie contract expired. Now, you might be wondering, why would the Chiefs trade away a guy who had was defensive rookie of the year and never even finished out his rookie contract with the team that drafted him with all that potential? And was well, playing great. Not was and bad. was playing great. Right. Right. And so that was during the Andy Reid tenure. Okay. He was traded away. 
And that's because, frankly, Marcus Peters was an attitude problem. He was a he was a locker room cancer for the Kansas City Chiefs. And this is a team that was on the rise. 15-yard flags all the time. Yes. He was known for taking terrible personal foul penalties, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, that were absolutely crushing. Um especially for the terrible Bob Sutton defenses where they needed every yard that they could possibly get. And for I him to... I he picked up a referee's flag and chucked it. He certainly, certainly did. Now, I need to read this record or this article from Arrowhead Addict. Okay, arrowheadaddict.com. Quote, Fewer players in recent NFL history have the sort of dueling proven track records as cornerback Marcus Peters. It's unfortunate for his reputation and legacy that the two work to cancel the other one out for most fans. On the one hand, Peters is one of the most gifted corners of his generation, a player with the sort of nose for the ball that can alter the course of a game in an instant. On the other hand, the Las Vegas Raiders became the latest team to decide to move on from him entirely entirely rather than deal with him as part of the organization any longer. So, end quote. I want to give some context here. During the Las Vegas Raiders-Kansas City Chiefs game, during the game, Marcus Peters got into an altercation with his interim head coach, Antonio Pierce. Really? Did they show that on the broadcast? No, this was reported. Okay. Um, As far as I know, it was not shown. But Now, Antonio Pierce is not just some guy. Okay? He's not just a guy coaching. He actually has, like... A, a cachet uh, and a reputation in the NFL. This is a, a Super Bowl winning middle linebacker for the New York Giants. This played is a guy who actually the highest level. He played the game highest level and beat the greatest, second greatest team to ever exist, the 2007 New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Like he was part of that squad. This is a guy who has done it all, has gone to the top of the mountain and climbed it on defense. And he's your head coach. And he has a lot okay? of respect from players. In the right. He carries a ton of respect. So let me keep reading. Quote, In short, fewer defenders have provided better on-field production than Peters, and yet NFL franchises have done their best to get rid of him than enjoy the on-field spoilers provided by having him around. In late July, Peters signed a deal with the Las Vegas Raiders to bolster their secondary in the midst of a training camp, and he was immediately installed as a starter on the boundary. Through Week 12, Peters had suited up and started every single game for Las Vegas, yet on Monday the news broke that the Raiders decided to release him outright instead of holding on to him any longer. Apparently, enough was enough. So, let me let me keep going here because this is a, here's a list of the teams that Peters have that, that teams have worked to rid themselves of Marcus Peters. Okay. Um. Going back to his college days, Peter's mercurial personality and emotional instability have always been part and parcel of the overall package. The University of Washington suspended him for a game, but ultimately dismissed him from the team after watching sideline tantrums and heated arguments with coaches go unchecked. The Chiefs bid on his draft stock in the first round of the 15 NFL draft and reaped immediate on-field benefits, but those instincts were never in doubt. It's here that the potential of a truly historic legacy showed itself in year one of Peter's career, but it didn't take all that long for the wheels to come off at the professional level as well. Through his first two seasons in KC, Peters was not only named Defensive Rookie of the Year after leading the NFL in interceptions, 
He had eight in one year as a rookie. But he followed that up with first-team AP All-Pro honor in 2016. Two years into his career, Peters had 16 turnovers forced to his credit. And he was being hailed as a future great for the Chiefs. But Peters would only last one more year in Kansas City. In 2017, Peters' unpredictable temperament led to the closing of his career in KC when during a late-season contest, he threw a ref's flag into the crowd following a penalty called on Steven Nelson against the Jets. Peters would get into an argument with an unnamed Chiefs assistant coach that same week and was ultimately suspended for a game. What's amazing that in his first game back in the lineup, Peters would pick off two passes from Phillip Rivers to be named the NFL's Defensive Player of the Week, a perfect example of the two sides of Peters. Now, I'm going to skip a little bit here. But after this, he was then traded to the Los Angeles Rams for a fourth-round pick. I remember the meme I shared on Facebook, Gideon, when this trade was made. I shared the meme of SpongeBob SquarePants sitting in his house, staring at his imaginary friends, which were uh, a penny, a potato chip, and a used napkin, and saying, look at what the Chiefs picked up for Marcus Peters. Now, Peters would only play a season and a half before at the Rams before they too would trade him to the Baltimore Ravens. Okay? So, he played for Andy Reid, he played for Sean McVay, and now he's going to play for Jim Harbaugh. All right? John Harbaugh. Yes, John Harbaugh. So, he goes to the Ravens and he does not last there forever either Which, because by the once way, he are 3 of not that many Super Bowl winning coaches in the NFL. Correct. Tenured coaches now, that are known to be good, if not two of them I would say are great in John and Andy. Sean is good, possibly great. Yes. And then he went to the Raiders and played for Antonio Pierce, which is a dumpster fire. So you have two, play, two coaches who will most likely be in the Hall of Fame one day in John Harbaugh and Andy Reid. I think those are and then Sean McVay. locks, like guaranteed yeah. to be in the Hall of Fame. Right. And then you have Sean McVay. Again, like you said, three Super Bowl winning coaches. All three of them had nothing to, they wanted to do with him. And Gideon, the scouting report for Marcus Peters. And Andy Reid is, is, is historically in his career known for drafting and dealing with guys like this. Right? Yes. Temperament guys, LaShawn McCoy, uh, what T.O. He had T.O. Right. He had. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many other guys can you name that that had temperaments like that? Tyree Kill. Right. Everyone was scared to draft Tyree Kill, and then he. You heard nothing from him the whole time he was with the Chiefs. Yes. Now, Gideon, I want to give you the. Um, this is the draft report that that NFL scouts made up of. Marcus Peters coming out of the coming out of what the coming out of college into the draft. Washington. Are you ready for this? Yep. Overview: Talented cover cornerback with size, ball skills, and the confidence NFL teams are looking for, but lacks the necessary discipline and maturity on the field and in practice. Peters has raw talent, but is far from a polished cornerback, and that is without taking the character concerns into consideration. Now, I want to go into his weaknesses real quick, okay? Suspended one game in 2014 by his then head coach, Chris Peterson, a great college football coach, 
okay, for a sideline tantrum that followed personal foul penalty, was ultimately dismissed from team over multiple run-ins with coaching staff, lacks patience in press and will open up early, grabby offline of scrimmage and beat downfield when beaten, um, overly emotional and prone to mental mistakes because of it, doesn't take coaching. Would you say how 100% accurate was that scouting report of Marcus Peters? I mean, yeah, it's pretty pretty close to accurate. Like, what's sad is that a lot of times you see guys like that, you know, they're young men. You don't know what they've been through in their life. But once they hit mm-hmm. that professional level and they, they really, a lot of the turmoil of their maybe upbringing and life kind of, is in their rearview mirror and they kind of start to realize what opportunity they have in front of them and maybe get some good wisdom from someone in their life coach another older veteran player and they can like settle down um Mm -hmm. and that just that just never happened with him so we talk about how important sports are for teaching players to teaching people to control their emotions to stay in control of their their thoughts, stay in control of their w- will to lash out. We often think about like, um, it, it, look, I've been I've been patient all day. I've been pa- I've been dealing with you all day. But this often happens as parents. Like I have been good to you guys all day. I've been patient with you all day, and now you're gonna get it punished. Now you're gonna get it. And we, I think of like a nine-year-old kid a six-year-old boy who was holding on to a rock for all day just holding on to a rock all day and then he decided to throw decides to throw it through a window saying hey i was good for nine hours today. i held on to that rock for nine hours and i can't throw it at a window now we feel like a terrible dad no, I'm just <laughs> so but we, we talk about these kinds of things because there are going to be those players that try to get under your skin There are going to be those players that try to egg you on and get you to react. There are going to be those times when the referees are not in your favor and they're not calling anything to go your way. There are going to be those times when you feel like you are being poorly treated on the field. And there are going to be times when you feel like your coach is not even treating you right in terms of not giving you the playing time that you think you deserve or not giving you the opportunity you think you deserve. And generally... The response is going to be, okay, well, if this referee isn't calling a foul on me, then I'm going to kick this other guy as hard as I can and lash out on this person. Or the coach isn't giving me the playing time that I deserve. Well, I'm not going to help pick up or clean up uh, the balls after the game, or I'm not going to help clean up equipment. Or this co- the, this this assistant coach talked poorly to me. I'm not going to hustle this sprint out. Or worse... This player's been egging me on all game. I'm going to take his knees out. And these, this is why it's so important for us to play these. Um, I, this is why I think direct contact sports are so crucial for young men to play in. Because 
when there's something about when another dude is in your face pushing you around and moving you against your will and it triggers that response there you need to you need to make the choice to not deck this son of a gun in the face and stay on task with the job at hand and not think about yourself serve yourself last and care about your teammates and get the job done It sports those sports like that team sports like that they really I don't know if they necessarily the sport teaches you self-control but I will say it definitely gives you opportunity to be taught self-control mm -hmm. you get many opportunities that you necessarily wouldn't get as often without them where you're really presented with a situation that raises the temperature in, mm -hmm. in young men and little and boys and mm -hmm. gets them fired up and feisty and yeah. gives them opportunity to be coached and say you got to rein that in stay and focused we talked on about the task like you said stay focused on your team and the goal mm -hmm. at hand and vengeance and getting one on them isn't the goal vengeance is mine saith the lord yeah. he will repay and we talk about how um our guys need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to wrath. Look, there, there's, it's a, when you're on the field and there are guys pushing you around, there are people yelling expletives in your face, and it's just a game. There's a referee there to moderate everything and officiate everything. That is a far cry from when you're standing at Planned Parenthood at the mill and some abortion-loving child murderer is standing right in your face, yelling every expletive imaginable, singing, yelling, chanting prayers to Satan right in front of you, chanting the most abominable language that you could ever fathom right in your face. And you are not able to deck that person in the face and get them off of you. In fact, the duality of Christianity says, Lord, please rain down judgment on your enemy while also saying, God, you forgave me. Please forgive them too. And we're not asking for judgment to rain on them because they're our enemy, but because they are God's enemies. I want to be clear on that. You, so you gotta have been put in those situations before, so that you right, can and, practice but, on how to respond. Right, and you're never going to respond well to those situations. Like you can tell when you play sports against guys, and they treat just pickup games like life and death. Um, money is riding on this game. We have got to get this right. They're like yelling all the time at every single thing. And you can just look at those guys and know you haven't been put through that grinder yet. Yeah. You've, you've, not, you've not endured that gauntlet yet. And so those are the kinds of guys that I would be hesitant to take out to a, a ministry like standing at Planned Parenthood and trying to save babies. Because you have no idea what they would do in that situation. When someone gets in their face and says the most heinous things to them and gets yay close, an inch away from their face, telling them to go F themselves. It's a totally different ballgame. Totally different ballgame. This is and also so this why, is why I like, this is on another point, it's also why I like combat sports. It's because mm -hmm. it, to, to the contrary, you... you it's just you, and for for boys, they get to obviously within reason. 
They get to let a little bit of that out in a controlled manner, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. They get yeah. to they they get to, you know, if a guy's talking trash about how he's gonna whoop your butt in a wrestling match, you get to go out there and actually whoop his butt. <laughs> right. Now I want to I want to bring up a, a story where um, it was in the uh, national championship game we played in my junior year of college. Um, the, this game was getting quite chippy. Um, referees should should have called some more fouls than he did. Uh, the game was getting a little out of hand, and I'm trying to calm my guys down because, like, hey, the last thing we need is a stupid red card um, in a game like this, especially when we are winning. Okay, and <clears throat> one of our players, um, Robert Buznitz, he takes out a the midfielder for the for Hillsdale Baptist and um, from Oklahoma. He takes out one of their midfielders. And as he was getting up, it was a very windy day for this game. As he's getting up, as Robert's getting up, Robert goes what almost all soccer players do after any given play and there's a stoppage of play. You spit out the extra saliva that's in your mouth because you're running hard, you're playing hard. And the wind carries it onto the guy he just tackled. So this guy thinks this Robert intentionally tried to, you know, like BM. Super disrespectful. Super disrespectful. Now, this guy is charging at Robert, fist clenched, getting ready to go after him. And thankfully, I'm 10 yards away from the play. I sprint over, and Robert's trying to explain what's going on. Like, hey, I didn't mean to. Like, it's too late at that point. Yeah. Like, this man will not hear you. Referee is running over. I'm like, this is it. This is how our championship dream crumbles. This is when we get the red card. That's going to ruin our day. And this man, I kid you not, arm is back, being restrained by teammates. I bear hug Robert, <laughs> drag him away, just yelling, just saying to him, shut up, shut up, shut up, just shut up, and come away with him, carry him away. And I try to hide him behind other players as quickly as I can so that the other referee can't see him. <laughs> Thankfully, the issue got diffused. And the, cap, the other captain and I were able to discuss it. We were able to talk with the ref. I'm just like, look, man, it's windy out here. Like, no one, we're, no one's trying to spit on anyone here. But if you've never been through conflict like that, if you've never, like, the amount of fights we got in in sports and growing up in Chicago was just out of this world. Um, just so many brawls that we were in. And it's important for your for for parents to get their children to not hide their children from some of these environments where these things can happen because it saves you in moments like that it saves you at moments where you are really in the thick of it and your temptation is to take it out on the guy in front of you because you've been holding it in for a while and you can't so the principles we've talked about here are vengeance is mine i will repay the lord says We've talked about being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And lastly, okay, this is I, and the last point I hit on with Marcus Peters is does not listen to coaching. Yeah. We have to talk about the words of Solomon, I think, often, which is, hear, my son, your father's instruction. Hear your father's instruction. Now, I know for most of us, most of us had at least one coach in our lives that was like a second father to us. 
either for good or for bad, they were a father figure to us. And one one of them, they were either a tyrant or they were a benevolent king. And if you had a benevolent king, you know you had that coach that would that you would wait on hand and wait on their every beck and call to hear any word of wisdom they would let fall from their table onto as breadcrumbs onto your plate. And you would take in as much as you possibly could. And there and there are those coaches who are tyrants that ruled with fear and every negative quality that they had, you ended up exhibiting yourself as a player. When they got too emotional, when they let their when they let their emotions rule the roost and rule how they interacted with players on the field, it transferred over to the team, and you could see a high-strung team from a mile away. And when there was a team, a, a coach that was confident and calm and collected and in control, you could see it again from a mile away. Absolutely, absolutely. I had a couple of coaches like that. Um, like you said, everyone has those coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ultimately what we're getting at with the film room is parents get your kids involved in sports to teach them how to handle these kinds of situations. One, to learn how to be coachable and parents train your kids up in the way they should go. That starts with you have to put weight on their shoulders, both physically and metaphorically to teach them how to handle these situations. How to be in the position in order to learn how to respond in that. Exactly. Um, just the other day, my son was playing catch with a friend of his, and he, Graham was talking about how the sun was in his eyes and he wasn't able to catch the ball or something. Or it's like, or instead of complaining about the sun that God gave you, you can, you know, catch the ball <laughs> and teaching him how to, to stop blaming other things for not getting the job done. Yeah. Um, and second, so second, you said, close your eyes vent- and feel the ball, son. Right, exactly. Just Ricky, stick your hand up there. Ricky Bobby let style. Benny the Jet Ru- let Benny the Jet Rodriguez just put the ball into your hand. Um, so anyway, we have uh, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Don't seek out revenge. Seek out the good of your team. Serve yourself last. Outdo your teammates in doing good. Showing honor to your teammates and showing honor to your teammates and. And don't let your opponents ever see you sweat. Don't let them see that they're getting the best of you. Don't let them see. Don't pay any mind to foolish barbs ever. And men control your anger. Yes. Yes. Well, I think that was the best place to end that. Yeah. Gideon. Good episode. Any final thoughts That's it. before we wrap this up? That's it, Ross. Well, only final thought is uh, make sure you watch that San Francisco Eagles game. It's going to be good. Yes. Yes. And make sure you watch the Deontay Johnson effort, worst effort play I'm from the Bengals. I'm fixing to watch that. Steelers. And uh, as Gideon's uh, wall decor says behind him, do not fear for God is with you. On that bombshell, everyone, please take what you've learned into your city and change your city for the kingdom. I'm Ross. That's Gideon. Peace. Oops.